This is Magic City Soccer. Es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. Let's go, Miami FC. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Vamos, Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer, your home for everything you need to know about soccer in Miami-Dade County. Hello, soccer fans in South Florida and beyond, and welcome to our show. Uh, it is me and Drew Hausman tonight. Drew, how you doing, pal? I'm doing good. Uh, another week where we don't have that much to talk about, you know, pretty slow open cup and seasonal play and not too many events going around in, around in town, so uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll somehow fill up the next hour. Yeah, I think we'll talk about underwater basket weaving. Um <laughs> In the interim, though, let's try to scrape the barrel and talk about what's going on. Uh, let's go uh, chronologically, and, and probably of importance, I mean, we are talking about the Open Cup here, uh, a big Open Cup showdown, My, uh, Magic City Classico Volume 3, uh, taking place at FIU Soccer Stadium last week, and it was a rather shocking result, though it was a rather familiar way that Miami FC got there. Um, it was a, a combative game. Uh, red card referee decisions making uh, an appearance and really affecting the whole course of the game. And Miami United, the perceived underdog, emerging with a 3-1 victory and advancing on in the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup competition. Uh, Drew, you were out there. What did you see? Yeah, it was it was another uh, classic uh, Miami FC or Miami FC 2 game where uh, pretty much the biggest game of the year, you get some sort of weather delay. So uh, keeping with Miami tradition, we had that going for us. Um, I believe, what, it was delayed like an hour, an hour kickoff, an hour and a half? Yeah, I think it went from 7.30 to 8.30, if I recall. Yeah, so something like that, yeah. or, or 7 to 8.30. I don't even know, but... Um, yeah, it was it was another thing where my Miami FC looked really good coming out the gates. Uh, early goal by uh, Queso Blanco, uh, Delamares, I believe, got the first goal. Uh, I think within the first fifteen minutes, somewhere around that time range. But um, seemed to be pretty quick. Seemed to be pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, you know, in, in traditional fashion, one of our uh, one of our star players, probably a hired gun for the U.S. Open Cup, did did something stupid and uh, <laughs> jeopardized our future going into the second half. Um, I, I did not see the play as it happened because at that point, you know, you're, you're going into kind of, it was probably at the 45th minute or 44th, you're kind of getting ready to go into crap stoppage time, you know, the ball's coming in off of a throw and you're, you're not thinking much of the game right there and, uh, uh, Turpak decided to, uh, stomp a guy a couple times and get thrown out the game. Get a little stompy. Yeah, and, uh, uh, you know, at first, you know, you're in the, you're in the stands and everybody's raging about it, but, uh, during the half, pretty much a general consensus was, yeah, he, he stomped him, double stomped him, obvious foul. Uh, looking back at the replay on, on video, definitely red card worthy. Uh, not, not what you wanted there. <laughs> Yeah, it was really rather shocking uh, to see that development when for the first 45 minutes, Miami FC were in control. Miami FC 2 dominated that game, kind of the result you expected from a team that you perceive to be of a higher quality playing at home, even though it is not their normal home, I know. But you you, you got what you expected. You got exactly what you were expecting to be served from Miami FC, and then Chris Turpak decides to, you know, practices tap dancing right before <laughs> halftime and it's really among the most disastrous things that can happen to this team where you had been really on the front foot but you hadn't been able to get a second goal you had you had possession you'd had passing but you hadn't been able to really bury the game and now Miami United are re-energized and reinvigorated kind of very similar to the second game that these two teams played at St. Thomas University, where Miami Uni- Miami FC two were were controlling the tempo, doing what they wanted to do. A red card comes out, and it really just throws a giant wrench into the, all the machinery. Yeah, and, and same situation, where it was a red card late in the first half, kind of kind of a dumb decision. Uh, this one was more on the player than the referee, um, but. Uh, I guess I guess at the end of the day we have to give it up to United for keeping keeping the lead at only one to nothing in the first half because uh, apparently they know their second half magic on these games. 
Uh, yeah, no kidding. And it, it's been quite obvious over these last couple of weeks, although a game that we'll talk about in a moment puts a little bit of a dent in what I'm about to say. Uh, Miami United punch above their weight. Um, they they may suffer a little bit from playing down to their competition too, but when they're playing the big boys in their conference, uh, they are not afraid. And they can put on the skill necessary, the talent necessary, the physicality necessary in order to get a result. And that's going to serve them very well as they advance in this tournament. Um, the second half, um, it was really kind of jarring to see what failed Miami FC 2 was the back line. T- a oh, total yeah. <laughs> capitulation by the back line and by the center backs. That We'd spent pretty much all the offseason saying, hey, you know, you've got some question marks on the wings, you've got some question marks on the outside, but you've got this spine of the team that largely remains intact. Boy, it, it didn't do them much good in the second half, Drew. Yeah, and I, I, I wonder if that's just kind of a, a thing where they're not used to these these youngsters that kind of United have and the speed they have and and maybe kind of the passion that they have. But yeah, it was it was just everywhere. And I, I think it was, you know, it was last Wednesday. I think it was Ochoa that scored both those goals, right? Yes. Sorry to jump yes. the gun there. Yeah, but sure. Ochoa, Ochoa scored very early. Uh, I think it was on Rhett Bernstein's side going on the, the left. And then literally maybe two minutes later, it was almost the same exact play, like same defensive situation, same setup yes. and everything. If like I, I wish I had the video editing skills to lay those two goals over each other and how much <laughs> they would mirror each other would be amazing. Have you ever seen those videos where they show like a pitcher throw like 10 pitches? And they yes. just overlap them. Like that's that's how I feel that went down. Like it was just watching it was like, wait, <laughs> am I having a flashback? You can you can go to our Twitter account at Magic City Soccer. I was able to do some kind of uh, live tweeting as the game went on. And if you look at the point where Ochoa attempts the first shot and Ochoa attempts the second shot, they're probably about five feet away from each other. And and, and it, it's it's almost. Drew's not kidding. It is virtually identical. Both the circumstance that leads to the goal, the fact that it was basically a high line that was poorly organized, but on the part of the center backs, and just David Ochoa taking off, getting into the box, and finishing from his left-hand side into the net of Indio Vega. It's virtually identical. And again, this Ochoa kid, I tell you what, man, he he is tearing apart anyone he he cares to face, really, in... Romero Cup preseason, you know, you think preseason, oh, well, he's going to get some easy goals. He's come into the league and and come into Open Cup competition and just has kept on kept on the path of goal-scoring greatness. Yeah, and I think the the other crazy part, too, is I think even between the first and second game, we're uh, mirroring uh, Privetira's, uh his goal against Miami FC, and then in the second game, he almost had the same thing, so... It's kind of uncanny how like, the similarities <laughs> of defensive uh, lapses kind of mirror each other in some of those games. But, uh, yeah, I mean, after after those two goals, everybody just looked like, you know, you could tell they were down. I, I was hoping for an equalizer, you know, keep the game going, maybe going to PKs or some extra time. But, uh, of course, uh, icing on the cake, our, our buddy again, uh, Victor, uh, uh, Victor uh, Pillai. Yeah, yeah, Pelé, I, Pelé, Pelé. I, I, th- I, think, I think I'm saying it like he's Hawaiian. <laughs> Pelé, <laughs> like, I don't know. Pelé, Hawaii. But uh, yeah, he, he came he in, scored very late. Goal. Yeah, took the shirt off, got the yellow, but at that point there was no time left, and a man down, you're not scoring two. Yeah, it was really, Miami FC 2 were, were pushing and pushing and pushing, and basically they got caught. Uh, they got they got caught uh, being a little bit too aggressive, but at that point, if you're not being aggressive down a goal near the 90th minute of an open cup, you know, elimination game, when are you going to be aggressive? So you, you don't blame on that end, but yeah, you, you look back at this match, and, and there's a there's a lot of talking points from it. Again, the red card, uh, the 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 decision of Chris Trapak to to make that really aggressive foul, um, the approach of the manager Paul Dalglish into the second half. You know, the first half game plan appeared to be fine. The second half game plan, dealing with the card, didn't deliver the results that you would have liked to see. And now Miami FC 2, after three games, one of them a play-in game, uh, is on the outside looking in of the Open Cup. Yeah, and, and another interesting thing is, with this game, 
you know, they won two Open Cup games, but they still haven't won a league game or defeated a league <laughs> opponent. So it's they true. haven't beaten an NPSL team yet. Out of this is the fourth game. Yeah, that's a fair point. They are uh, oh three and one. Is that correct against NPSL competition? Uh, yeah, three t- three ties, one right loss. There? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, three ties. Uh, so yeah, that that's actually qu- uh, quite an interesting note to make of that, and and certainly. Miami FC2 are going to look to change that going forward. Um, we always like to self-promote here. Um, highly recommend you go to our YouTube page. Uh, just search Magic City Soccer when you go to YouTube, or you can visit our website and find some of our stuff. Um, the post-game comments of head coach Paul Dalglish are quite interesting. Uh, if you're a, a fan combative. of Arsenal t- Fan TV, this may be up your alley. It got a little yes. saucy. It got a little that's, saucy. That's a but great right way to put I feel it. like rightfully so, though. Yes, I think that, uh, you know, our man Omar Mubayed um, uh, was there uh, getting the postgame comments. And, and I think given the circumstances of everyone involved, yeah, you weren't, it wasn't going to be a, a garden party. It was going to be not the most fun <laughs> comments to, to deliver and, and, and not the most fun questions to face. Um, but, yeah, now we're left with a team that basically – Lost the big carrot. You really wanted at least the chance to to play a game to play MLS competition. Miami FC two doesn't have that, and really the only thing left now is to dig themselves back into the NPSL race and try to get into the Sunshine Conference playoffs. Yeah, I mean, and and on top of that, they haven't had a great start at that, and it's it's not even only playing MLS team. It's maybe even USL team. I mean, how the Open Cup is set up now, most likely they would have played Orlando. Uh, if they advanced on, but you just want that higher competition that never came. And I think we were both saying, and Omar too, and pretty much everybody was like, basically the Open Cup to this team was almost a season, and the NPSL was kind of a second thought. And now it's just kind of this weird thing where you have to backtrack and now just fight back into it again. But they're just in such an odd position going back in. Um, you were you were touching on that that post game interview, and what I found interesting about that, and I didn't kind of realize until I watched it, was that. I think Paul basically just said uh, Polak uh, just showed up late and he didn't make the squad, right? Did you get that out of the interview? Um, I don't know if McFar- that was quite... Mc- McFarland started and I was just kind of confused and I was like, he said he started or he came late, I think. Yeah, I may have I, just provided I... like 30 seconds of nonsense information, but if you watch that again, like I was, I was just kind of like, that sounds like he just straight up showed up late to the game, and as a punishment, McFarland started. I like McFarland. I thought he had a decent game covering covering the United players, but uh, I didn't. I didn't know what to make of that. Yeah, I, I think again, great point to recommend. Go go check out our YouTube page and get that. Uh, uh, decide for yourself uh, to, to yeah. kind of decide. And tweet for us that. hashtag Drew is wrong or hashtag Drew was right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> So on on the flip side, Miami United have to be just over the moon. Again, we'll talk about their weekend uh, adventures that put a little bit of a damper on on everything. But if you're Miami United, you can't ask for more than what you've gotten in this first month of the season, where you've played this this you know juiced up team, for lack of a better word, this this NASL team that's been dropped on your head and in your conference. And you've gotten two draws and a win out of it, and the win came in the Open Cup. It is it is really a testament to the program they're running over there. It's a testament to the caliber of players they have, and and so many people who were kind of eager to write them off as the also ran of Miami. Well, guess what? They're they've had a chance now, and boy, have they made the most of it. Yeah, and I think this year, if a couple more uh, local qualifiers drop, I think there's only two left in the tournament. Maybe four to six NPSL teams. But if they can go up to Jacksonville and beat Jacksonville, I I feel like they could be this year's like Cinderella story. Like if they beat if they beat Jacksonville and end up playing Orlando, like regardless at that point, there may be a couple of PDL teams in, but I think they'll be this year's like Christos. Uh yeah, I think that's definitely on the table because they they clearly have the talent. They do. Yeah. Um, and especially the fact that the fusion folded, you know, we've gone over this a billion times, but they got their slot because of that, yada yada yada. But yes. it's it's a great story. I you know, can't be that mad. Yeah, you a know, Miami I team mean, won. We, we've talked about it before. This is a Miami soccer podcast. It's not a Miami FC podcast. You know, we are we are a little bit more aligned with Miami FC perhaps, but 
you know, th- that comes from a point when they were the highest ranking professional team in town. We've been to Miami United games before there was a Miami FC. You know, we've, we, we, we support local soccer first and foremost. And with yeah, the two teams even- face off. Ochoa and Victor uh, were both uh, strikers under 23 players in the NPSL, which I believe me yes. and you went to one of those games against United. So <laughs> This is true. and, and yeah, uh, it all, United, it's, it's just a full circle. <laughs> it is. Everything closes in on itself. Um, but yeah, so I mean definitely if you're a fan of Miami sports, you got to kind of circle the wagons here and hope that Miami United make the kind of run that Miami FC made last year. There's, there's no At this point, there's no reason not to. Because uh, they're they're the only dance at the dance. They're the only date at the dance you can take. So, um, yeah, I mean, so best of luck to I, them. And I think definitely they have had their eyes a bit on uh, the cup because they had themselves a bit of a game uh, over the weekend. Um, yeah. Bef- before Palm- we go into that, I have I have, sure. a, I have a terrible question, and I hate asking it because I wish it upon nobody, but do you think Miami FC 2 downsizes their office after this game? Like certain people, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't wish this upon them. I don't want to see it happen. But our front office is huge. Sorry to anybody um, listening, but now that the cup is gone, do you think Silva tries to cut some of the budget and maybe rehire think, towards the next season, or keep keep going as is? I think that at this point, given what's on the table, I don't think they're going to want to make any drastic changes because they don't want to risk screwing up the NPSL season, for lack of a better word. Um, I think that I think that this team has now become, for Silva and for the people involved in it, um, as much of a symbol of this fight that they're le- leveraging against the Soccer Federation um, as it is, you know, a, a club in and of itself. Um, I think it serves a larger purpose, and I think that taking any drastic measures at this point kind of weakens and, and, and that argument. Um, yeah, that's true. Where, Ricardo Silva was just on uh, CNN in Espanol, um, I believe yesterday evening, talking about you know Miami soccer and issues related to um, the whole promotion relegation fight. Yeah. He was at the Sportel Summit uh, last week talking about that issue as well uh, with Kyle Martino and the president of CONCACAF. Um, I, I think that he has a larger plan in mind. I think they're, uh, to borrow from uh, Men in Blazers, I think they refer to wheels turning within wheels. Um <laughs> I, I think there, there's a larger factor at play here, and I don't think that um, ownership is going to want to totally upend everything. I mean, it's a possibility. Any any team in the position that a Miami FC 2 is in who's dealing with that kind of loss would, would have to consider it. But I, I do think that this is not necessarily the normal circumstances. Yeah, and, and I wasn't trying to be mean or say anybody deserves it. But just compared to other NPSL teams, I look at our front office and I'm like, we're still running an NASL operation, but like, oh sure, oh, on, sure. A, on a on a much lower scale. So um, if anybody gets fired, uh, you can probably find where I live through my season ticket holder address and come beat me up. So let's talk about United's troubles. Yeah. Yes, let's let's go from bad news to bad news. Uh, although Miami United's news, I, I think they'll still take it. I think they'll uh, they'll 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 take the trade off. Uh, Miami United were the only local team in NPSL action this weekend. Um, they faced off against Palm Beach United, and uh, you had expected that maybe they would take their eyes off the ball a little bit because they had just had this massive win over Miami FC2. They had really gone through a tremendously difficult schedule besides their game against Naples United. Uh, and they now have this next game coming up against Jacksonville uh, for a chance to play um, an MLS squad. Um, and so you would think that they maybe had would have rolled out the B team, taken it easy, taken a chance at a loss. They didn't. They had, uh, among their strongest possible sides, out on the field against Palm Beach United. I'd, I'd say like an A- minus or B++, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I threw the among in there just to just to uh, qualify <laughs> a little bit, but I mean most of the big names were on the field or available for selection, and uh, they lost. They lost two one against Palm Beach United, which again they're clearly now they have the the seat that Miami FC two were hoping to hold, hold, where it's like okay all in on the Open Cup. Now they have to adjust a little bit. They're all in on the Open Cup, and and maybe they weren't prepared for that as this was a game that. Should have been winnable, and they dropped it. 
Yeah, it's kind of crazy where, you know, coming, I think everybody kind of seeded the top three teams or even top two teams as Miami FC, Jacksonville, and then Miami United, and people threw Boca around as a fourth in the top of the powerhouse, but to, to, to lose points on the road, I mean, or sorry, at home, but, uh, you know, I guess it was, you know, the weather's been horrific, everything was, I think there was a rain delay in there. Uh, there was, looked like a hefty amount of red cards toward the end of the game. They ended the game with yes. nine people on the squad. But um, regardless, you know, they got it in. And, and then just uh, another game over the weekend, uh, Booker Atone beat Naples United 3-1. I don't, I don't think that means much in the, the conference standings or anything. But uh, who knows? Like, Boca may be able to creep into a third-place spot. Uh, we're still kind of early in the season. And this is kind of the MPSL wackiness where, you know, certain teams have played five or six games now and others have played one or two so yeah uh, it's it's hard to judge the schedule because you, you can't look at the points yes it's it, when, when you're talking about games in hand and you could talk about you know a quarter dozen games in hand three or four games in hand it's it's a bit hard to keep up with it um but, yeah well i mean it's what 16 game season so Right. You, you do have to kind of keep up with it, even though it's hard to do so. Yeah, I would say, basically, at in, in this league, if you are Miami, Miami, or Jacksonville, and you're dropping points to anyone not named Miami, Miami, or Jacksonville, that's a bad day for you. When you're losing, that's a worse day for you. When you're losing yeah. and you lose two men for the next game in the league, that's even worse for you. This, this was... Well, you- you know what their next league game is for United? Uh, fill me in. Is it Jacksonville, is it Jacksonville? Armada? Yeah. Oh, really? They have to play them in the Open Cup, and I think four days later they have to play them in a league game in Jacksonville again, I believe. Wow. I'm not is... sure if it's home or away, but those those players are going to be missing for the Jacksonville game, the league game. But they're going to do the Open Cup game and then the league game. So it's it's getting spicy. It's getting spicy. <laughs> That is among the NPSL things I've ever heard. Uh-huh. Uh, basically, poor Miami United has gone uh, Miami FC, Miami FC. And they're now going to have to do Jacksonville, Jacksonville uh, back-to-back as well. Like, it's it's really it, – not only is it kind of fixture clogging, it's team clogging. So you're facing the same teams over and over again. Um, and I but, believe yeah, this I is mean, only Jacksonville's second game when they play United – in the league game, I think that's in their their only no. That's sorry, that's their third league game. Third league, yeah, game. I believe but it's that's their third still league pretty game. Pretty fresh. Yes, yeah. Jacksonville is going to have a lot of fixtures to play in a short amount of time. Um, I, I don't know if Robert Palmer is going to be happy with that or not happy with that. You know, in terms of his input on the schedule, but yeah, I guess it depends get... what they do in the Open Cup. If <laughs> yes, yeah, that's true. If they wind up winning a couple games in the Open Cup, they're going to have to play. You know, one day on, one day off. In order nah, to they're, they're, they'll reschedule necessary. it a bunch. Yeah, there um, were, there was some weird thing. I think it I think it was in the NPSL uh, Midwest where one of the teams just couldn't play a game and they had to reschedule the game after the like NPSL playoffs. And it's like, what's the point in playing that? Like <laughs> for pride, Drew. Yeah, pride. yeah, but <laughs> it just it was super bizarre. I read that today and I was like, oh, that's amazing. Like, there's probably um, there's probably some way of like oh if you win this many games in the league then you qualify for this amount of bonus in contracts or from the the league or whatever there's 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 certainly a backstory there so someone get yeah, on I, I, someone I think the MPSL is gonna step in and straighten this out but as of now it looks like a mess but uh, yeah I mean even even uh, all all. Miami Miami and Jacksonville have all been subject to the uh, rescheduling. Uh, uh, what was that? Uh, who did the Super Bowl shuffle? Oh, I was trying to make a really good comedic reference. The Bears? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the NPSL uh, Bears shuffle. <laughs> the whole schedule just got screwed up because of the Open Cup. But uh, yeah, I, I've, I have no clue what like half of our games are anymore. <laughs> yeah, so basically if you're married to a schedule as it is, just assume you're not really going to be able to enjoy it because – the the league or the open cup is going to come in and screw it up but so miami united they have this loss really their first kind of challenge bump in the road this season uh heading into their game against jacksonville uh drew what do you think it's going to take for them to pull out a win in this game 
Um, I think they could pull it off in Jacksonville, to be honest. Like, I, I you know, I, obviously Jacksonville had to have watched that game and just have to give, like, shake their players, like, uh, SI sudden infant death syndrome and just shake them before the game and just say, hey, red card, not happening. Like, no matter what, don't get frustrated, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Jacksonville will be on the advantage there. But I, I feel like kind of what goes to Miami United's advantage all the time is just the underestimation of them and them as an opponent where everybody's like, oh, they're a program team, we're pro, we came from the NASL last year, blah, blah, blah. And then you get smoked. And, uh, you know, there, there was no kind of crazy uh, call in that first game where United drew uh, Jacksonville. Uh, was that game in Jacksonville? Or did they not No, play? I believe it was in Miami. Oh, that was in Miami. Miami United in Jacksonville? Yeah, yeah, that was in Miami. Right? Yeah, I believe that was in Miami. Okay, I could just be making this all up. But, you know, there, there was no drama <laughs> in that game. And then also, uh, even the Armada barely scraped by uh, Boca Raton. And there were no, like, serious reds in that game. I, I guess it was a couple scuffles and other stuff. But there were no reds in that game. And Jacksonville only beat them 2-1. So, um you know, I ha- I haven't watched a full Jacksonville this game game this year. I'll be honest, uh, I missed the uh, Miami game against them, and the, unfortunately, the replay didn't work. But uh, just in my mind, I'm like, hey, it's it's the Open Cup. You know, anything can happen, and I feel like they're pretty levelly matched. You know, if I were to choose one, I would choose Jacksonville just based off skill. But uh, you can't sleep on United. You know, obviously, I chose Miami FC too in the previous game based off skill, and that ended in a three one. So it's it's level. It's level. Yeah, I, I think that if you're Miami United, you, you have to have the confidence that you can beat anyone in the world right now. That it, that you've you've slayed the dragons that have been put out in front of you, and now you're going to get a chance to to really kind of stake your claim to this whole conference and and, and to, the, to the state. Because if they can beat Jacksonville, they're going to you know play Orlando most likely, and then you know why the hell not at that point? You know, at, again coming from our experience from last year. You think that, oh, your lower-level division team isn't going to be able to hack it, and then you go in and, and turn over the tables and wreck everything. Why not? Why not us? That has to be the thought if you're in La Dose, if you're part of the Miami United front office, if you're a member of the team. Why the hell not? Um, it, it's it's got to be exciting for them. The, the Open Cup, we, we joke about, you know, magic of the cup all the time, but there is really something special about it. There's a reason why these players want to be in it, why it matters so much for them to compete in it, even more so than sometimes most casual American soccer fans who aren't even aware of it. But for the players, especially in the second and third, well, not third, the second, the fourth, and lower divisions, <laughs> this is the Super Bowl, and you get a chance to play in it. You You get a chance to go... As far as your team can take you, and and if you're Miami United, you have to feel very confident that you can really go the distance. Yeah, agreed, agreed. But yeah, let's do take a moment and hear a word about our sponsor for, uh, I was going to say this evening's podcast, but again, you could be listening to this at 7 in the morning. Uh, Let's hear about our sponsor, Groundhopper. Hello, soccer fans in South Florida. Us here at Magic City Soccer want to tell you about our newest podcast sponsor, Groundhopper. Whether you're a passionate soccer supporter or just enjoy watching the game, check out the Groundhopper app, the handiest tool for soccer fans. Checking out the game and earn badges for all kinds of achievements. Compete with your friends and see who's the biggest fan of your team. Find all the fixtures taking place where you are, whether it's Miami or Madrid. This way you can turn any trip into a soccer trip. Available now on the Google Play and iTunes App Store. Now, back to the podcast. All right, thanks again to Groundhopper for... uh supporting our show we appreciate it we encourage you to go to the app store either in google play or in the itunes app store and check out Groundhopper. fun way to follow along with your teams and kind of be a little bit competitive about what games you go to um we're very excited to have on a guest uh live with us tonight uh hoping that technology doesn't fail us as it sometimes is want to do uh this is a guy that uh, is really prevalent in the miami sports scene in general but uh has a particular affinity for soccer and is going to have a chance to kind of let that shine in the next couple of weeks and months and years. Um, the You've heard him on QAM. You've heard him on BN, calling NASL games. We're familiar with that. And he is launching the Pitch Invasion podcast on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Chris Whittingham. Chris, how you doing, pal? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for coming on. So, obviously, uh, as host of a soccer podcast with a Miami Flair, we were very interested to learn a little bit more about what you had in mind with your show, especially because you are so plugged into the local sports scene. Um, 
what do you what do you hope to have in mind? What do you hope to accomplish with um, Pitch Invasion? Well, it is it's something of a vanity project for me, and and I do uh, very much agree with the sentiment that you actually presented it with, which was that I have an affinity for soccer. And professionally, I have been slightly frustrated. Obviously, calling games is brilliant, and it's actually what the the long-term goal is in terms of where I want to be going forward. But I talk about it so so much with my friends, and I know so much about the game now because it really is the sport I would say I follow the most, even more than NFL and NBA. And I just wanted to have a vehicle to talk about some of this stuff. So obviously, locally, I think one of the things that – I find a lot in my personal life is just my friends asking me, so what's the deal with this MLS team? Are we going to get it? When's it going to happen? And those questions have been for four years now. And so I obviously want to talk about that. Uh, I, I know a ton about uh, Miami FC having called their games for two years. So uh, I, you know, when, when things happen there and uh, you know, I want to talk to Ricardo Silva and all the, all the major principals about their, their thinking and all the, all the causes, frankly, that they're taking up right now, both in trying to keep NASL alive and in trying to advance the cause of pro rel in the country and really just talking about the the major news in the world of soccer so starts with champions league this week then world cup then icc then into the european season uh i'm following mls really at a at a level at which i have not at any point in my life this year so i want to talk about some of the major talking points there and really it is just kind of an ability for me to talk about this sport that i really you know come to really know i would say the last four years of when I've really sunk my teeth into it and just voraciously consume like BBC podcasts and Guardian podcasts and read all the news and you know be all over the transfer mill and all this stuff. So I, I really kind of want to have this vehicle. And we talked about it as an idea, and I wasn't really that up for it because I wasn't sure what the market would be, but uh, we, we have advertising people that were working with at Five Reasons, and they were saying that uh, they wanted to uh, have some soccer in the market because they think it's an attractive demo, and I think that speaks to why uh, MLS wants to be here and why MLS is growing in this country. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think we agree with you wholeheartedly. We're, we're definitely probably among the target of who you're trying to reach, and the fact that there's so there's so little talk about soccer on English language sports talk radio down here, basically, in, unless you're Orlando Alzagari, um, you're, you're not hearing about it at all. Um, and, and so I definitely think there's there's a there's an opening in the market. You know, it was, it was it's been interesting. I, I I've been you know ever since you were at VUM following along as as a kind of a the, the sports director that you were sports director at VUM, right? Yes. Yeah, and so kind of nerd following alert, nerd alert. all the way back then. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm a VUM alum, so whenever right, I listen, man, I, I've long said that being sports director at VUM, the next job is a step down because. Uh, from my personal point of view, like I was traveling and getting per diem for with women's basketball, I would call you know uh, Miami football games against Ohio State and FSU from the forty yard line in a booth at the stadium. Like it was an incredible opportunity. Like as much as it could be nerd alert, I, I was just <laughs> and that for me was such a fun experience. Oh, no, I was nerd. I was it's nerd alerting sweet Matt. Gig. People that don't know. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, that was directed at me. Yeah. Hi, you, Chris. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was. I, I I remember pretty distinctly because I always follow you know the the student media at, at UM just to keep up on on sports stuff. Being being a Hurricane alum myself, a UM alum, um, and kind of I I remember you distinctly looking for a Premier League team. I remember that being kind of a through line, and then you kind of landing on Manchester City. Can you explain to our listeners how you kind of came to that conclusion? Because I, I think it's it's. An interesting, unique story, but it's also a story that I think a lot of people can relate to. Yeah, so I, I was very much looking for a team, but I didn't really want to force it because I think you see a lot of fans that just decide to pick a team and then they don't know anything about it. And I, I really just decided to consume the league as a pure neutral for two years. And one of those years was the Aguero year when he won the league with the basically the last kick of the season. And I was just, I, I knew all the narrative points about that game going into it. And I went into it, it was on a Mother's Day. I remember like sitting at brunch with my family and explaining yeah. to them what was happening and telling the story. Like they got into the story and then we watched the final 20 minutes of the game and then the magic unfolds. But um, so that was kind of one of the first seasons that I was really following the Premier League. And then uh, I went to London with my family on a vacation. And my brother is a big Arsenal fan. 
and we sort of planned the trip around going to see Arsenal and Chelsea at uh, at the Emirates, and it was going to be you know an incredible game, whatever. And it turned out that kind of like here where they move games around for television, that happened over there where before we booked the trip, we were imagining the game to be on a Saturday. Well, they moved the game to a Monday night for Sky's Monday Night Football. And we were leaving on the Sunday, so we weren't going to go see Arsenal and Chelsea. My brother was super bummed about it, but we decided to say, all right, what games can we see in London? And so uh, Fulham were, were hosting Man City at the Cottage, and so we went to, <laughs> we, we, we went to West London and uh, we went through the ridiculously long and weird walk that you don't expect a stadium to pop out from where you're walking. And, uh, and there we were by the Michael Jackson statue. It was still there at the time. Oh, the best, the best. Yes, it was fantastic. That's glorious. And, uh, and then so we sat Fulham at their ground. They have a neutral section, which is right next to the away section. And that's where we bought our tickets. So we were sat next to the, the away section. And we thought, you know, a proper hooliganism that if I showed up, wearing my Man City jersey that I was going to get beat up in the parking lot or something like that, uh, or, or as they would say, in the car park. But uh, so, uh, so I kind of hid it underneath my jacket. But once I realized Fulham, not the most intimidating of grounds, it was generally going to be I unzipped my jacket and I was there kind of supporting City. And they, they, they went on to win the game 4-2. It was the year that Fulham got relegated, actually. And, um, and so all the City fans, they emptied out their songbook. All the songs that they sing as, as a traveling support, they, they were just singing all of them. And like, because of their Mancunian accents, they didn't understand a word of it. And, uh, and so we're leaving the ground, and everyone's drunkenly singing. And, oh, that's what they were singing. There's F-bombs in there. I didn't hear that when I was sitting in my seat. But uh, so, yeah, so went to go see them in person. I saw them win. Uh, I actually ended up seeing them after uh, I began supporting them. Uh, when they played Liverpool at Yankee Stadium for an ICC. Uh, oh, I so, that. So, so I, I went to the Yankee Stadium with my brother. Uh, he was working at ESPN. And, uh, and so, yeah, so I've seen them twice in person and kind of went through the whole experience. So that, that's how I became a, a, a city supporter. So what you're saying is Sky Sports really screwed you over from having the glory of being an Arsenal fan. <laughs> I see. Now, here's the thing. I don't know I would have become an Arsenal fan because my brother and his friends... Oh, the my, the my, second you made eye contact with Olivier Giroud, you would have been an Arsenal fan. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing, though, is that... Uh, so my brother and his friends, he went, he went to FIU, so his friends at the time were, were, were big Arsenal fans, and I found them to be so arrogant and obnoxious about the way that Arsenal played football that they <laughs> was the only way to play football and that they were the only club that existed. Uh, and so I, I don't think I was ever going to be an Arsenal fan. I might end up being a Chelsea fan on the day just to antagonize my brother. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know what happens if, if we end up going to the Emirates on the Monday. So yeah, how sure, do we get your brother on the podcast? <laughs> hey, hey, man, he's, uh, he works for ESPN Stats and Info, and he's a big soccer guy too. So, uh, so maybe, maybe he'll be down to come on too. Drew is just looking to form a splinter arsenal podcast. That's all this really is. It's just a long, elaborate ruse. You're, you're just a pawn in this game, Chris. I apologize. I will not fall for it. I will not fall for it. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of our European allegiances, of which I've, I've uh, tried to bite my tongue a little bit here because I'm so excited, uh, in about five days' time, Liverpool will either be champions of Europe or a pretty impressive runner-up. and Or, or have crushed your soul. About it. Yeah, well, I'm used to that by this point. I'm, I'm, I've, I've, I've accepted that. My story of starting to follow Liverpool is I hated soccer until my senior year of high school, and my friend uh, Jeremy uh, convinced me to watch this one game. It's like it's the Super Bowl of soccer. Just check it out. Your and first game was Istanbul. Team just had. Yep. Come on. It, it was, and so I'm like, Jeremy, okay, look, you proved me wrong. There are goals, but this team sucks, man. Like, they're just getting the crap beaten out of them. And he's like, and we're on instant messenger aim, aim. and he's like, just stay with it. It's It should still be good. And then Istanbul happens, and I'm like, that was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. The fans and everything, it's remarkable. Like, there's never been a better sell job for the sport than that game. And so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll watch it. And then I decided, all right, well, it, this is the team that brought me in, and uh yeah, so I, I stuck with them, and it ever since then, it's kind of been, I've been chasing that high over and over and over again, and basically just getting punched in the face over and over again, um, but this has been such an exciting season. You're, you're looking at this game as a neutral. What do you see from it? Well, I actually took a ton of stick, uh, I would say, two months ago, because uh, I just ha- I happened to be watching Liverpool. They, they beat the crap out of Watford, I think it was 5-0 uh, at, yeah. at Anfield earlier this year. 
And I tweeted that day. I said, I really think that... Because it was right before Liverpool were going to play City in the Champions League. And I said, I really think that Liverpool can get through City and win the Champions League. And I took so much crap from even Liverpool fans. Like, come on, man. I, I, I like my team, but not that much. Like, let's not get crazy. But I took a ton of stick... And, uh, and and here they are in the final of the Champions League. And this is not to say that I'm right, but it's to say that I've been impressed by that team the whole year. And really the only reason why they, they weren't a legit title contender was, I mean, obviously City were imperious. You, you, you pick up 100 points, like, it's going to be really hard, but... Uh, what Liverpool did to City in both in both home games this year, I hate Anfield and I never want my team to play there ever again. And uh, and and you just sort of see the way that when they're at their peak, when they're at their full flow, they're unstoppable. And I really think they can summon that energy to really blitz Real Madrid. Uh, to me, if they don't get it in the opening twenty minutes, if they don't come out and get a goal in the opening twenty minutes, it'll be interesting to see how they respond because they really are a team that kind of depends on coming flying out of the traps and and setting their press and winning the ball off you like if that doesn't if that doesn't come off then I'll be curious what their plan B is because I imagine that's certainly going to be plan A but this is a team that I thought all along can win their comp- can win this competition because on their best day they can beat compete with and outplay any team in the world particularly in this competition when no team for me has really been that impressive Real Madrid's in this final for a third straight year but I don't think they've been particularly good on the way there I thought uh, Juve could have just as easily knocked them out I thought Bayern could have just as easily knocked them out and you know they lost to Tottenham in the group stage like this has not been the most impressive of campaigns and certainly they didn't have a good campaign in the league so I, I really think that Real Madrid is there for the taking and it really to me is going to come down to does Liverpool sort of opening burst of energy and adrenaline yield them a goal because if it doesn't then that, that for me is when the concern will begin I, I, I think I pretty much agree with you wholeheartedly. I think the, it's cliche to say it, but I think first goal wins. I think that if Liverpool can come out and get that early goal, I, I still think Real, I, I think Real have more of a shot to win it. I think it's like a 58-42 proposition. I think Liverpool have a very good shot, but again, like you said, the longer the game goes on without a goal, the more like it, it could be weird to see because Real might try to bunker almost, just try to take the sting out of that. They've early. done it in the competition. I wouldn't be surprised yes. they did it again. Yeah, so... um I think it'll be a good game. Again, I, you know, I'm I'm partisan, obviously, but if a team that displayed the same qualities as Liverpool, you know, if Roma were getting in with that kind of attack, um, and Liverpool had lost, I still think it would be a pretty good game for a neutral. Um, the other big competition coming up, obviously, is World Cup, and uh, of course, sitting here in the United States, we're in kind of a weird <laughs> position because uh, we're not in it for the first time in more than twenty years. Um, how are you approaching this one, uh, Chris, from, again, from that weird uh, American perspective? Yeah, I, to me, it's been interesting because I, I feel like all soccer fans in America are also advocates of soccer. Whereas I don't really think, like, if you're an NFL fan, you're not really like, I'm, I really want what's best for the league or what's best for the sport. Like, you don't have to be because it's already arrived. So I'm constantly advocating. So I was actually talking with, uh, with Mark Hockman on Friday. Uh, it was an off-air conversation uh, at WQIM. And he was saying that because the U.S. isn't in it, that he just doesn't have nearly the amount of interest that he would. And he thinks that it's going to slow the momentum for fandom of the tournament in general, not just uh, the fact that for either the four games or the five games, or if you're a you know a hopeless optimist, the six games that the U.S. would have been in it. But uh, I I particularly think in this market in Miami, I don't agree with that because I just think that the population here. It really doesn't matter that the U.S. is in it. I think there's a, just a group here that they care about their country, they care about their team, they care about football in general, and so it, they don't need the United States playing into the group stage or into the round of 16 to, to have interest. So uh, I, I do kind. Of, I, I will be curious to know what ratings look like. I'll be curious to know just sort of anecdotally what interest looks like from a personal point of view. It's just again, it's it's the fact that I now have that knowledge of. The, of the, the league narratives and of the national team narratives uh, from having covered Commonwealth World Cup qualifying for BN, from following CONCACAF, from following all the major European leagues. Like, I know a lot about, like, let's say 20 of the teams in the tournament where, like, I was looking at the Senegal squad. I was like, wow, I know, like, nine of these players. And so, I, like, I, I feel like 
my interest won't wane, but I don't know if that's re- representative of broader America. But no, I, I'm I'm 100% in, and even though the locale isn't great for me, like I'd love for it to be in another country. Um, it was, you can say that the next two World Cups and possibly even the next yeah. three if the U.S. don't get it. But uh, and, and the locale is kind of the 33rd team. You've heard that described, but I, I I don't feel like my personal interest is waned at all because the U.S. is out. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see because there are so many things changing with this World Cup. The U.S. is out of it. Uh, Fox is taking over coverage of it uh, and so much Stromundrang about that and how they're approaching it and who's involved and, and all that. Um, I think there are a lot of different inflection points as to which you can kind of talk about the the the, the game within the game of the, the coverage and the ratings and how people digest it. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how Telemundo does. I'm quite oh, yeah. interested to see how Telemundo does. <laughs> well, Fo- yeah, Fox lost I all that money, that and now they have that campaign, uh, like basically support the Mexican national team. But I think that's what it's just a load of nonsense. Yeah, and I think that's what you were brushing on earlier, where Miami's kind of the the abnormality to all that, where it's like, hey, like last World Cup, like every other bar was just packed with you know you had Baru and Brickle, where the Colombian fans you know were just packed that place, so. Uh, I mean, it's not like the streets of Miami will be dead, but uh, obviously, you know, Fado's is going to have a, a bit of a drop off of customers. But yeah, I mean, those those kind of American outlaw events are, are so massive and really do kind of build the momentum, I think, for a lot of people to know what's going on. Right. Where you kind of view everything through the prism of the U.S. So it's who do we play in the group? Who are we going to play in the knockout rounds? But yeah, I think like there's markets in this country like Los Angeles and Dallas and even Phoenix where, you know, there's the Mexican population and then New York and and in other kind of metropolitan areas where it's just not going to be a factor, right? And if anything, I think this, it sort of benefits from a Miami narrative point of view because Miami has dominated the World Cup in terms of TV viewing. Like, we finished last in March Madness, but we finished yes. first in the World Cup. And I think the that only increases, and that only increases because when ESPN puts out the top markets for U.S. games, Miami is never in it, right? Because I think there are other cities like Kansas City and Washington, D.C., where there's kind of more of that U.S.-based support than there is here. So I, I think the, the narrative that's going to come out of this tournament for, from a U.S. point or from a Miami point of view is going to be, I think, we're going to finish number one, unless Mexico make it to the final or something like that, where they just have a bunch of Mexico games that kill it. Uh, we'll be number one uh, in, on Telemundo. We'll be number one on Fox. Like I really believe that because well, I think we did it in 2010. And I think with it being on Network Fox, like more than half the games are on Network Fox, so it's accessible. And then the Telemundo coverage, I, I really think that uh, that it'll be really monster numbers from a Miami point of view. As long as WSVN doesn't try to pull some of their soccer shenanigans that they want to do and move the game to... <laughs> no, no, they don't do it for MLS. And like, right. for me, like the only league they do it for now is the Bundesliga, which is annoying right. because you want to see Christian Pulisic play soccer, but... Other than that, like I, I, WSVN, for all the for all the you know the the picadillos that they've had in the soccer area, area, and I've certainly tweeted my complaints any number of times. Yes. I don't I don't think the World Cup is going to be a problem in that regard. Well, yeah, I think I think they've kind of come off that weird hill that they were fighting on for a couple of years there. Which was the infomercials of, over live sports hill, which I, who the hell knows? Yes, I w- I would love to sit down and talk to Anderson <laughs> about that one time and just get the. Just get the why? Why are you doing this to to my? I don't get it. What? Um, anyway, oh, I, I was going to single-handedly kind of uh, blame uh, DJ Vasilovic for those uh, NCAA ratings, but uh, as, 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 <laughs> uh, <laughs> Drew as, as has a love hate relationship with DJ Vasilovic, and by that I mean he loves him, but yet hates that he doesn't love him back. Uh, my my love my it's really more of a hate relationship, and no love is for Jaquan Newton. I, I went to oh, I only um, went to one game this year. And the one game, uh, it was late in the second half. I forget who it was against. Um, but uh, when, when Jaquan Newton would get the ball, there were people shouting, please pass it. And, and there was like an <laughs> audible gasp every time he touched the ball because it was like something bad is about to happen. And for me, it was amazing that, you know, Miami, you know, the University of Miami, not like a tradition rich basketball school, but even like even the fans in the stands were, could see clearly that, that, you know, that their thoughts had very clearly evolved about uh, Jaquan Newton. So that, 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 is my, that is my feeling on that subject. 
<laughs> yeah, that's uh, but, it's definitely having started going to UM basketball games in 2005 and coming from Maryland, where basically college basketball was like the bread and butter. No one, no one gave a crap about college football there. Uh, to see the evolution of the Canes fan in a basketball sense, while it's still not, you know, Duke, not, no one's kidding ourselves here, uh, there's definitely been a change. There's no longer acceptance of mediocrity. Uh, and Jaquan Newton, a uh, valuable servant to the university, but I think it, 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 for everyone's best interest, it's probably good that we're uh, we're in the post-Jaquan era. This has been Magic City Basketball. You're listening with Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we've had a couple so, of shows this year with that, but uh, I'll, I'll bring it back. Uh, like he was saying earlier, uh, you kind of you kind of pick up uh, players on the other teams uh, for the hardcore American American soccer fans or just international soccer fans. I think with maybe like uh, MLS, NASL, even NPSL and UPSL, you get so many kind of uh, South or Central Americans and European players that become part of your squad and then end up at European teams where uh, there's actually a lot of players this year for American fans to watch if they're, you know, kind of looking for their hometown players. So it's not as, a, as, not as terrible as a scenario that everybody makes it out to for, for kind of the diehard people like... You know, obviously, uh, you know, they're, they're not in the World Cup this year, but Miami had a bunch of internationals last year, and there's a lot of USL internationals, people playing in Costa Rica and places like that. So, um, I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Sure. I actually think it, it's it's not the it's not the worst case. If you're a legit diehard and you really don't care that much about the development of the sport in America, it's probably a nice respite you know what i mean you don't have to you know it's it's you know with the world cup and i love it like i love when america's in it playing but you know it's it's a little bit like new year's eve for people who drink you know it's amateur hour you're getting all these people come in don't know what they're talking about you're kind of dealing with all that you kind of clear the field a little bit now and you get to kind of enjoy it from this other perspective that's not so american centric you you mean you mean you're not tired of having the conversation of will soccer make it in america <laughs> every time every time the us is in the world cup because honestly like it is one of the reasons why i think uh, there will be a generational shift particularly in punditry uh, in the next kind of 20 years is that you really don't have anyone on national television right now who's doing any of these debate shows or talking head shows that really knows anything about the sport. And so right. uh, whenever you get into having major conversations about it, it's either we got to bring Taylor Twelman on or Alexi Lalas on, or we ask the question, will soccer make it in America? Because that's the only sort of level at which a lot of pundits can discuss the game and look man i i understand it's it's hard it's hard enough following the sports that uh, you know a major american sports pundit has to follow it's the nfl nba college football college basketball major league baseball like it's a lot right so to really know a lot about the the, the european game like there are times where i'll watch a sports center anchor you know read a highlight and they butcher some player's name or they call uh they call a you know juventus a franchise and i want to you know sink into my couch <laughs> into the sunken place but i i just you know you have you have to be understanding that there really is it's going to take a long time because if you think about it really the the generation and obviously you know matt you you watch the uh the 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 european cup final in istanbul in 2005 but the accessibility of the champions league of uh the premier league really only goes back like six years because you go back to the fox soccer channel like that's a pay channel and it's way out of the way like to really know about this sport you have to watch the major european leagues and they weren't really that accessible and so really the last six years the big boon has been in accessibility of television so you have young young people watching the game more and it's obviously more talked about on social so you have that component as well so it's going to take a long time before you really start seeing major pundits really know their stuff i tell people all the time in my my full-time job is I'm i'm a middle school teacher and uh, you know, I know we're skewed because we're in Miami and, and it's a it's a different market down here. But these kids do not give a damn about the Miami Dolphins. They care about Messi and Ronaldo. They care about the Champions League. They care about that's I, that's how I've been able to engage my kids. They know I'm a Liverpool fan, and so everyone's like, "Oh, you know, you're not going to beat Real. Real's the best." Or, "Hey, you've got to beat Real for us. We're Barcelona fans. Please take care <laughs> of them." You know what I mean? But they don't care about Ryan Tannehill. They don't care about. You know, no one cares about the Marlins, but they don't care about the Marlins. Even the Heat, like the Heat are, are present, but they're a clear second place. I th- I think there's a, a giant story missing in terms of the coverage of American sports. How are the kids consuming it? And the kids are consuming it online with social media and all the barriers are down. And they can connect to any athlete that they want. They know all about, they can talk to me about Mohamed Salah playing for Liverpool when 
10 years ago, it would have been almost impossible for me to follow along my own team. Right. And, um, and, that- and, and, and it really is an element of like, it's not even about watching the games. It's about what works on Instagram, what works on Twitter, like what works as shareable and really goals, tricks, and, and those highlights, like there's such an abundance of them that comes from abroad that that really is the thing that connects and YouTube videos and all that stuff. Like it just it's a perfect thing for soccer and for the growth. And look, man, I, I say all the time, like you can talk about whatever you want in terms of, you know, seeing jerseys on the streets. Like I talk with Ethan Skolnick all, all the time about, uh, you know, I don't see Dolphins jerseys on the streets anymore. I see heat jerseys. I'm like, I see more Barca and Real jerseys than anything else. Like, oh, yeah. and, and anecdotally, like, that is where I see growth is you just see kids and teenagers, like, everyone's wearing a Barca kit, man. Like, everyone thinks that that's cool, and that's the cool brand. And as much as, like, teams like Bayern are trying to get into the American market, like, there's no substitute for being the cool team. And and that's why I think Barca and Real yeah, have, have done so an okay job. Yeah, Bayern, Bayern did an okay job. Towards the end of the season, they cracked in and started a uh, group over at Fritz and Franz in, in Miami. And the fact that they're playing the ICC game here, so they're they're doing a little they're doing a little Miami coverage and PSG over the last tournament cracked it in a little, but uh, you know it's Miami, so it's a South American market. But there there are a lot of teams pushing pushing over. I think Arsenal does a good job in America, and and part of the great thing is too there, there's there's no like there's no like taking down of content. Like I was a huge me and Matt are both huge MLB fans, but. Jesus, man, you try to find, like, a clip from, like, three years ago on YouTube of something baseball and it's all DCMA taken down. Like, they don't embrace the social media like that where no, like, team in France or, uh, you know, like, South Africa is going to go after an American guy for sharing a video of a goal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, and and to me, the thing that uh, you mentioned kind of the efforts to grow, like... I, it just it, it really it's it's actually hard for me because like I'm I'm a city fan so I want there to be more city fans but every time I go to the pub there's you know nothing but Liverpool and Chelsea and Man United because they kind of have a head start but it really is also because it really isn't like when you're picking a team you don't want to pick like this you know this uh, evil empire that all they do is spend their way to to go to, to going and winning leagues and winning trophies. But I do wonder if in kind of the Guardiola era, because this team is playing such incredible football and they're scoring 105 goals a season, you might start to see more City fans. Like, the, the things that have to be latched onto are things that are cool. And so that's why Real and yes. Barca work so much, because Messi's cool. Like, he might not have a cool personality, but... The, what he does on the field is incredible, and Ronaldo's incredibly cool. So I feel like that is that's the thing that has to work now. Is are you cool enough to to really break through that environment? And like I don't know how Bayern Munich does that because like I don't think of them as cool. So they they have to fa- these <laughs> that like that that is like the word cool. I'm using it a ton, but that really is the currency by which these teams have to start trading. Have you ever seen the video where Mueller makes fun of uh, Ronaldo's ball handling skills? That was pretty cool. Where he just steps <laughs> on the ball like 600 times and like does like pirouettes. Uh, I, I have to search I'm that alone on that, that one. I'm alone cool. on that one. Shots fired. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, um, I, I can tell you from my experience being a Liverpool fan, especially in Miami, I definitely – that word cool, Chris, I think it is way – you are right on the money with how important it is to build a fan base because – I remember when Liverpool were going and they were towards the top of the Premier League and they were making Champions League finals and, you know, they weren't cool. Like, they were... Rafa Benitez, who I love and worship, his style of football is not cool. It is very kind of just organized, tactical, get a goal, lock it down. You know, it's not fun per se. Uh, and it's not it's not Jose Mourinho, you know, choke the game out, but it, it, it's closer to that than uh, Jurgen Klopp. And so I really felt like I missed the bus. Not that I missed, I didn't miss it, but other people missed the bus because Chelsea and Man U were were these teams that kind of caught the wave as soccer was growing and we just kind of got stuck. And within the last, you know, six months, I'm an administrator of the Miami Liverpool fan club on Facebook. I've gotten more requests interested in joining the group in the last six months than I had in the previous four years. Um, and I think, again, like you said, that's a testament to people being interested in watching the game. For, soccer is unique in the fact that to to be in watching it, you have to be hooked by the game itself. It's not about sit for on our side of, of the pond, on our side of the world in America. It's not about where you were born. It's not about what city allegiances you have. It's not about what your family roots for. It's about like what drags you in at seven in the morning to a bar to be interested in watching for fun. 
100%. And that is sort of the, the way that I got hooked just because I, I sort of knew everything about the Aguero moment and I thought it was incredible and I wanted to support that team. Like, And it really can be for the dumbest of reasons, like a team's colors or you know one player that you really like. Like It, it really is. And, and, I, and I imagine a lot of energy and resources that these major European superpowers are dedicated to how do we draw in these fans? Because that's why they're turning to America and Asia is because their market's tapped out. Like, if you live in Munich and you don't right. know what team you support, then what the hell's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> they, don't need, they don't need to do any work on, on, on the people in their country. And so they have to, how are we going to grow? How are we going to add new fans? And it's to go into other countries. And so I imagine there's a lot of boardroom meetings, you know, about, uh, you know, how, how do we pull these people in? And I, can't, I, I, I have to imagine it's frustrating for them because I don't think there's a science to this. I really don't. Like, other than trying to hire a manager and sign players that are going to you know, be entertaining, social, and sociable, then I don't know what they do. Like, you know, maybe Man United, by signing Paul Pogba, like, because he's such an Instagram presence, that they think that you know, that, that'll add more fans. But I don't know if, that, if that's necessarily worked. But it really is these kinds of you know, moments or players or small things that end up – because really, as an American soccer fan, you have a menu, right? And so you have a menu of every club in the world that you can pick to be your European club, and it can be the smallest detail that allows you to, 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 to make that choice. So speaking of moments that hook you in and, and lead you to support a team, uh, kind of bringing it back local before we wrap up with you here tonight. You've already been so generous with your time. Um, the Open Cup is going on. Uh, for a lot of people down here, that moment against Atlanta last year uh, in the Open Cup I was, was there. A real it was brilliant. It was among the most exciting things you'd ever experience. And, you know, uh, we, we we went to every game last year here, and then uh, both Drew and I traveled up to Orlando for the, the smashing victory there. Um, the, it is those moments that drag you in, and now it seems that it's Miami United who are going to have the chance to be the Dragon Slayers. Um, what, what do you think is so important um, for Miami? You know, we, we've talked about MLS ad nauseum, and, and there's still not a product on the field yet. We, we, we dance with what brung us. You know, we, we, we go with what we have now. Um, what, why do you, what do you think is so important about this tournament, the Open Cup, uh, in relationship to the growth of American soccer? Well, I, I do think it, it does kind of speak to the brand power of MLS in some respects, and that's one of the reasons why I think uh, I'm, I'm encouraged about uh, the the growth of, of MLS in this city is because really the crowd started to show up when they were playing the MLS sides. And because, yes. you know, because Miami FC had, you know, a, a decent-sized crowd when they were playing the lower league sides to get there. They, they played Tampa Bay Rowdies on the way there. And, you know, there was a few thousand people I went because I, I couldn't get to the, to the weekend matches because I was always calling a game on a Saturday night at Bean. Um, so I, I, I didn't get a chance to go into the stadiums, actually. But uh, I, I went for the Rowdies game because I was free and I, and I could go. So I went, and there weren't a ton of people there. Um, and then they played Atlanta United, and all of a sudden there's 10,000 people there, and it was a legit 10,000. And it was because it's oh, it's the MLS side, and we have a chance for this major cup set, and it, it, it would be super fun if they were able to pull it off, and they did. And like you said, they had that incredible moment uh, with Poku in on goal and then scoring the goal, and and that sort of is a hook. And then you come back because you know you're you're excited about this cup run, and you're in the quarterfinal, and I think people started to realize, like, sort of link it with the other domestic cups and whatever league that they follow, so they kind of understand the importance of it. And if an NASL side wins this it's you know historic because it hadn't been since the 70s so it, it really is this kind of this massive deal and I really do think it's it starts with you know can my, this year a Miami United or last year Miami FC you know bring down one of the giants bring down one of the major clubs in uh, in, in this country and so it does sort of speak to all right so when a big side comes to town there'll be people there because if if, if nobody viewed MLS as big then there wouldn't have been a crowd there so so, so it, it was a sort of a sign that there is that recognition that in this country, this is the best that you'll see. Yeah, it does kind of prove the market. I guess if you're if you're Don Garber, or you're in the MLS offices, you're you're looking to see. Okay, people will go. 
Um, although it, it was, it, it did kind of make that question of, you know, being on the Miami FC side of us, is this the Beckham thing? It just made it more confusing because it just it was like, well, it's MLS, but mm, also no, not really. It's the open cup and it's like the FA cup or you know, the domestic cup. In how, how many times, how many times do you get as covering soccer in this city? Is Miami FC the MLS team? Like I, I've gotten that at least 20 times. Like people just oh, not, right. Just people, people not basis, knowing what it is. Daily basis. Yeah. Even yeah, just wearing I mean, the jersey we, out and about around town, people are like, "Where'd you get the Beckham jersey?" I'm like, ah. <laughs> "Yeah," and like basically, anytime you say you're going to a game, people are like, "Wait, the Beckham thing started?" No, no, it's like, it sure, hasn't. sure, buy tickets. I'll meet you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's also that approach, which bring is just a straight photo, up lie. Bring your uh, royal um, wedding uh, registry book, and Beckham will sign it for you. <laughs> <laughs> So um, anyway, Chris, uh, let, let's wrap up. I want I want to give you you know thirty second elevator pitch. Tell us about what to expect on Pitch Invasion. Besides, of course, excellent commentary about the quality of pitches across the world. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I do not have that yet uh, earmarked, but I imagine it will come up as the uh, as the episodes go on. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I I uh, upset American sports fans around the world because I call fields pitches regardless of what sport is being played on them. And uh, I do this because I like to bother people and because uh, I think a lot of people assume that I desire to be British even though I just kind of find it funny. Uh, but anyway, so the, the, the main idea is, we're just gonna, I, like again, it's just sort of an expression of my love of the game. Uh, going to try and have guests on. Going to try and have my friends on that I talk about uh, soccer with. I figure if Bill Simmons can bring his friends on, then I can too. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's just going to be year-round soccer conversation Uh, it'll be once a week uh once we get into the swing of things it'll be twice a week in the build-up to the world cup and then in the world cup i kind of want to go every other day i was looking at the fixture list and i thought i don't know if i can make something out of russia saudi arabia so maybe we'll go every other day uh (laughs) rather than trying to you know turn something into nothing or turn yeah right turn something out of nothing but and uh again just sort of an expression of uh, my love of this sport i really have come to enjoy it i I feel like i have a solid knowledge base and now i want to express it and i think it'll be a uh a fun time so subscribe pitch invasion podcast podcast it's on itunes already it's on google play and i imagine wherever you get your podcast it should be there too so uh check it out episode drops on wednesday i can tell you that our first guest is the si soccer writer grant wall so i'm very excited about that interview i did ask him about uh the mls miami venture and why he thinks that they've been so patient with it talk some champions league talked about his new book as well that is brilliant so grant wall on the first pod so uh check that out there's a lot of good I know, sidebar before I come back and kind of praise the podcast. There's a lot of great soccer reading this summer, man. We had Sebastian Abbott on um, a couple weeks ago to talk about his book, The Away Game, uh, kind of about the, the uh, Qatar and developing their soccer program in advance of their World Cup. And I know Grant's book is fantastic too. Like if again, we said it when Sebastian was on. If you're looking for something to read this summer and you're a soccer fan, you are in hog heaven because it's delightful. Um, so again, if if you're listening to this right now. There's really no reason why you shouldn't also be signed up for Chris's podcast because it really it, it just fills in quite nicely with with your interest in and, and again you know if you like soccer you get good soccer content sign up for it um, you can find uh, Chris on Twitter at Chris Whittingham I'm going to spell your last name just so people don't get lost in case they don't know W I T T Y N G H A M you can find the podcast Pitch Invasion Five R. Uh, standard spelling on Pitch and Invasion 5R, as in reasons. Uh, it's part of the 5 Reasons Sports uh, Networking. Just, I think, Google that. will probably pop up at this point. And again, you can search for Pitch Invasion on uh, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And, um, yeah, again, get on board. Chris knows what he's talking about. Good voice for soccer down here in Miami, expanding soccer-specific content. Uh, that's a win for everybody. Chris, thank you so much for your time. We hope to have you on again sometime soon. Appreciate it. Whenever you want, guys. Uh, this is really fun. Excellent. Thank you again, Chris Whittingham. Drew, what do you say we call it a night? Let's do it. Let's do it. Excellent. So for Chris Whittingham, for Drew Hausman, I've been Matthew Bunch, and you've been listening to Magic City Soccer. And so until next time, uh, go Miami United as they try to advance in that U.S. Open Cup, and go Miami Soccer. Boom.